Hello and welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today, I'm thrilled to share with you a conversation with one of my favorite authors, Shannon Martin. After reading Shannon's first book, Falling Free, Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted, I knew I wanted to have her on the show. Shannon's story is one of the road less taken, about Jesus shaking up her family's comfortable life living the American dream and pushing them into something radically different, into ultimately a more fulfilled, deeper life in Christ. As Shannon says, she found her voice in the country and her story in the city. Shannon's book and our conversation will challenge and encourage you to take a deeper look at your own faith and what it means to live the good life and to truly love your neighbor. Shannon, thank you for joining me today. So the whole premise of the show is just women telling their stories and how God has just totally changed their life. So I think, and I want to talk, we'll talk at the end a little bit about your newer book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, and where you can be found and all of that. Sure. But I think the gist of this conversation, I kind of want to talk about the following free book, if that's okay with you. Oh yeah, I'd love to. I had heard your podcast. So this, I've just been doing this podcast for about six months when God put it on my heart to do, this is my crazy thing right now. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I had heard you on Jamie Ivey, like long time ago, it seems like. So I had known of your story and then a girlfriend of mine a few months or gosh, a month or so ago was like, I know who you need to have on your podcast. And she reminded me of your story and your book. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes, I do. So I am so glad. So thank you for coming on today and agreeing to share. And I just think your book is, is one that everybody should read. It really makes you just pause and kind of just examine your comfortable Christianity, I think. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about falling free. I love it. <laughs> so before we dig into that and hearing your story that led you to write falling free, can you introduce yourself to people listening? Oh, sure. Yeah. My name is Shannon Martin and I have been married to my husband, Corey, for almost 20 years. We met in college um, and he is the full-time chaplain of our county jail We have four kiddos who all came to us through adoption. Um, So, you know, they all have really unique and beautiful stories. But we have Calvin, who is 13. Ruby is 12. Silas is 10. And then Robert came to us most recently, and he is 24. Okay. (laughs) So we adopted way outside of birth order with him. He was our literal big surprise at the end there. Um, And, you know, we live, we moved to Goshen, Indiana, to our our very ordinary kind of shabby, um, overlooked and underloved neighborhood almost six years ago. Okay. And, you know, that was just a real catalyst for change in our lives in a lot of ways. And I know we're going to talk about that some, you know, later today on the show. But yeah, you know, I, it's, it's funny because when we... When we moved here six years ago, you know, I would have said, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a writer. And now such a big part of, you know, just my identity and who I am is a neighbor. So I I definitely would say that I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a writer, um, and I'm a neighbor. I mean, that's just become a really big part of our lives. Yeah, and that's really cool. I mean, because like I said, I heard a podcast with you from a couple of years ago, and it's like just that transformation. I don't think your book had been released um, when I heard you on yeah. a podcast. And it's like just for you to say this, you see how our stories are always evolving and yes. the transformation from now and then. And now this is the next chapter of your story is your identity is now found in being a neighbor. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's go back a little bit because I know um, kind of the the quote where you're at now is like what we just talked about, but it took, it took years for you to get there. Um, so, and we don't have to share everything in your book. Cause I really want to encourage people to read your book. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like you just said, um, when you were introducing yourself that you have adopted children and that starts yeah. out your life that wasn't part of your plan. Um, so you get married, um, you yeah. move into the happy little farmhouse and you kind of just think <laughs> you're living the life that you had planned and that God right. wants for you. Um, but then, yeah. you, then you struggled with infertility, correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and that was something that, you know, 
I think a lot of women know that it's possible. You know, we, we all know somebody who was affected in some way by infertility, but it, it certainly wasn't trouble that I had borrowed. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we found ourselves facing infertility, I mean, it was it was a shock and it was very much one of those situations where you suddenly are forced to realize that you just can't control this. Mm. You know, you can plan and, you know, we had waited longer than most of the people around us to start our family. And so when we felt like we were ready, you know, you just assume that, you know, now that I'm ready, everything's going to fall into place. And that's not what happened for us. So, yeah, I, I would say that adoption for us was that first big surprise of of understanding, okay, I, I'm not as in control of of my life as I think I am but it was such a it was such a wonderful surprise you know it was it it certainly was not without heartache and without frustration and all of those things getting to that point but at, at the point that we we really switched gears and and understood that you know God's God's picture of our family was just going to look a bit differently than we thought it would I mean that was just if you're going to be surprised by anything let it be adoption is what i always say because it's you know it's it's um we we just we didn't even know people you know this would have been when we brought calvin home and when we were going through the process it would have been 15 years ago and things were just different then you know we didn't have these online communities where you could really find other people going through things that you were going through. So in a lot of ways, we felt pretty alone and just, we didn't know a lot. Um, We just had to jump in. And then, you know, we, we had this precious little boy in our arms and, and now, you know, 15 years later, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we are so aware that adoption is a really beautiful gift. And it's also a really, um, it's a hard and painful thing that we are, constantly navigating and, you know, fumbling around in the dark in a lot of ways with our kids as they just, you know, they feel that grief and they feel what they've lost and, you know, they struggle in some ways to, to understand that they belong. And it's, it's really challenging. And it's good that you're honest about that because yes, adoption is beautiful. I have several friends. One of my best friend is adopted to little ones from Uganda, but it's still really hard. I mean, and it looks really pretty on the outside, but, um, right. And then you have that extra layer of the infertility that you had to walk through. Um, what was the role? Like you were, you and your husband were both believers, um, when you walked through the infertility, correct? Mm -hmm. And so what, what role God play in that? I'm sure that was a huge strength for you. Yeah. You know, I think both of my and Corey's personalities are, um, I mean, you know, I get this question pretty frequently and in some ways it's hard for me to even remember exactly how it felt and exactly, you know, what it was like. I think my personality tends to be like, okay, well, I'm going to fix this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went to, and I think probably a lot of women are kind of wired that way. So I just, you know, I was like digging around in these weird chat groups and trying all these strange, you know, kind of home remedies or, you know, all these, just anything, anything that, that might have helped or worked. You know, I was, I was out seeking that information and just really believed that it was just a matter of time. You know, we were seeing a, an infertility specialist and he was, was kind of had the same approach. Like, it's just a matter of time and you're going to get pregnant and it's going to be fine. And, you know, as that, as the months kind of ticked away, um, it, it, it just became obvious in in a way that I believe God just kind of allowed us to understand that it's just, you know, we were we were kind of um, searching in the wrong place for our mm-hmm. family, to be quite honest. Like it was just and, and so when when we were able to switch gears, I guess I I, I personally didn't feel the deep, deep grief and loss that a lot of people do. And that's just a personality thing. So I want to be careful. Um, for us, it was it was a fairly smooth transition 
into like, okay, we're just going to adopt. And, you know, now we're excited about that. I know that that's not the way that it goes for everyone. And so, you know, every person's story has value and it's real. Right. Um, and that's, that's why I was curious how you got to that point of adoption. Cause I personally have a brother and sister-in-law struggling, struggling with that and yeah. adoption's not on their radar. So I, but you, like you said, yeah. everybody has a different story, how God gets them there. So for you guys, adoption right. was just like, that's what God made clear was the path. Right. Um, and you accepted that. Yeah, I mean, because I think adoption is not the answer for everybody. So, you know, I, I have a clear memory of being in our doctor's office and, you know, just talking through things. And I mean, I was certainly feeling sadness and frustration, you know, all the while yeah. you're people all around you are getting pregnant and it's, it's just really, it's lonely and it's complicated. And, and for us, it was a, a pretty clear moment that day in that office um, you know, I remember the doctor leaving the room for a moment and I was crying and I said to Corey, like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just had a very clear, like, you know, I just want a family and, and it doesn't, it, you know, at that point I just felt like it, I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care how this family comes together. I just, I want a family. And that was the answer for us. And so I know that that was something that God just in his, in his grace to us, you know, just helped us to understand. But I mean, it, you know, I think, I think anyone, I'm such an advocate of adoption. I'm also an advocate of really going in with your eyes open and, you know, adoption has changed a lot in recent years and, um, you know, just to really, to really understand what's at stake. And, you know, I, I look at my kids all the time and I just adore them. I love mm -hmm. them with my whole heart, but they lost a lot. They yeah. lost a lot to be, to be mine and to make me a mom. And I, and I, I never want to, um, I never want to let go of that truth. Yeah, that's such a good point. And so your kiddos, except for um, the oldest one, they are adopted internationally, correct? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Actually, my daughter was, Ruby is our 12-year-old. She was adopted domestically. Oh, okay. So her and Robert were both. Gotcha. We have, an, we have an open adoption with her birth mom. Okay. And then Robert grew up not far from here, kind of in the Chicago area. Um, and then our two younger boys were both brought home from South Korea. Okay. Gotcha. So that's what I was thinking yep. about your two younger ones. So, so when you got your babies and was that when you guys were living in DC or were you already living in your farmhouse? We were, when Calvin and Ruby came home, we were in a real, we were in our first home that we had bought. So we had, we had moved home from DC okay. back to Indiana okay. and that's when we started like infertility treatment. You know, we kind of, we were only in, in DC for about a year. Okay. Um, we were both there for political jobs. And so we thought we'd be there for two years. My husband was promoted back to the district office of the congressman he worked for. Okay. So we weren't there long. But at the point that we moved back to Indiana, that that was a, the real starting point. And like, OK, now we're back home. We bought our first house. We're ready to start our family. Okay. So that's when all that kind of unfolded. And when so when we moved to the farm, um, I got to think here. Ruby had just turned one. Okay. And then Calvin would have been three. So they were babies. You know, okay. they were real little at the point that we moved into that farm. And then Silas came home there. And yeah, things went on from there. A lot happened at that farm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you got, you have the little toddlers living in your farmhouse on the acreage. Um, and you're probably kind of thinking from all appearances, you're living your ideal life, right? Is that kind of where oh, you're yeah. at? I mean, life's yeah. really hard though, because you have toddlers and Well, yeah, that, you know, but... it's, it's hard in that mom of, of two babies way. And, and some people really thrive in that. And I am not one of those. Uh, yeah. I am right there with you. Oh I will just... my goodness. I mean, I loved it, but I also like, it was really hard and challenging for me that those two Ruby and Calvin are 16 months apart. So they oh, were goodness. super close in age. I was, you know, I was just kind of learning this mom thing as I went. I was also working still from home part-time, um, still doing some of that political work. And, you know, life was full and it wasn't without its share of stress. But, I mean, I, I definitely felt like, you know, we are on the right track. We are living a good Christian life. I mean, we're doing everything right. 
Um, and, and in a lot of ways, we felt like, especially with the at the point that we bought that farm, it was kind of like for us, you know, like we have arrived, like this was our big goal was to give our kids this kind of, um, you know, rural, very idyllic life. And we have this property now, um, we're remodeling it. And, you know, I started my blog then, we were making great money. Um, we were faithful members of our church and tithing and doing the Dave Ramsey thing. I mean, we yeah. were doing all of the things. And yeah, it felt very much like, okay, we're established now. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So on paper and by appearance, you're living the quote, kind of the perfect Christian life. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. I, I read one of the things I love in your um, bio on the back of your book. It said you found your voice in the country and your story in the city. So mm-hmm. part of that voice in the country, like you said, you had your blog um, and you were writing about um, the home stuff and the perfect life there and all of that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of. Yeah. I was writing about dinner and babies and decorating and all of those things are still things that I love. Like, I don't want to to act like, oh, yeah, back then I was writing nonsense. I mean, that stuff matters. That's yeah. real life. And but but I took a real hard turn at some point along the way yes. um, and just start, you know, my heart just started being broken for different kinds of things. And so, you know, that that was that was kind of the catalyst for just a lot of the transition that came next for us. So as you're living that life, and again, that's what I love with your story. It's such a, it's just an evolving, um, cause like you said, what you were blogging about there was fine. And that was what God put on your yeah, heart then. Right. right. But then God started to stir your heart for a little more. So yeah. I know in your book, you talk about, um, you know, you were living in quote, God's country, but you and your husband still kind of felt like farthest from God. Um, So is that kind of the general what was stirring in both of your hearts when things started to shake up a little bit? You know, I think I don't even know that I don't even know that I knew that I felt far from God. I mean, I think this was just I think it was just coming to the realization that there had to be more. You know, like, I don't, I don't feel like we were particularly distanced from God any more than we had ever been necessarily, but just coming to understand that, that we were really quite honestly, I mean, this would have been the, the eye opening thought for us. And it came to us from various places, you know, we, we, our eyes were opened for various reasons, but to really understand, um, you know, you can, at the point that you get everything that you want, you have to come to terms with the fact that it feels like something is still missing. Mm-hmm. And that's very much what happened to us. So, you know, now we had our kids and they, they're beautiful. They came to us unexpectedly, but they're ours and we love them and they're super cute. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, we have this family, we have these amazing jobs with good insurance. We have this farm that we have always wanted. We had all of these things. And so at that point that we got those things, it was like taking a minute to realize, oh, we still feel a little dry somehow. Mm-hmm. Like something is not quite connecting. And and so to begin to discover that what we were really doing, you know, when we thought that our job as good Christian parents and as good Christian people was to create a life for ourselves and our kids that was as safe and secure and comfortable as possible. And that's exactly what we had done. Mm -hmm. So, so why do we still feel this unrest? Why do we still feel not quite satisfied to understand that what we're really doing was living the American dream with a side of Jesus, you know, like, yeah, we're climbing the ladders, we're saving our money, we're doing all of these things. And we're bringing Jesus kind of along for the ride, sort of, you know, kind of stamping his approval on everything that we're doing and believing that all of this is good, all of this is right. So so what could the problem be? Um, That was that was a moment that shook us because what we started to really dive into and understand was that was never our calling. Our calling was never to to climb. I mean, you know, we started to really investigate the life of Jesus and we had both been raised really our whole lives in the church. So this is stuff that we on paper or in theory, like we knew, (laughs) you know, we knew all about Jesus, but to really start to investigate and to see that he was he was always doing the opposite of climbing. He was going low and then he was going lower 
and he's our example of what our one long life on earth should look like right and so we're doing the opposite and and he's saying to love your neighbor as yourself and you know all along we had sort of assumed that since we didn't hate our neighbor i mean we were nice to our neighbors that must mean that we love them right you know right or our neighbors you know are like five miles down the road so i'm sure they're fine (laughs) exactly like we didn't necessarily know their names but we didn't hate them so that must mean we love them right um and then beyond that as we started to really understand God's heart for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the hated and the ignored, we discovered that we didn't really know people who fit into into that category. I mean, we didn't know the poor. We were surrounded by people who who really lived and looked and believed exactly like we did. And so all these things came at us and, and we were, you know, there were for me. So was this a, a person, just not to interrupt you, but real quick. No, so ahead. was that when you said those things came at you, was that like an ongoing conversation between you and your husband or were you both separately yeah. wrestling with this, not knowing that the other one was, or how did that oh, come up that you're yeah. both like, um, yeah, we I feel the same way <laughs> for us. And this, again, is a question I get a lot, and I feel like my answer is not super helpful to a lot of people. For us, it happened almost to the minute at the same time. And so we we had listened, we sat down, and it's super weird still to this day that we did this. This was not something we'd ever done before. Um, This is before podcasts were really what they are right now. But we sat down after our kids were in bed, a family member recommended to us that we listen to a sermon series online. Okay. And it was the sermon series that became the book radical by David Platt. Oh, okay. So, I mean, never before had we been like, we're going to put our babies to bed and then we're going to sit down and listen to a, a mile long sermon series. It was like the sermon series that never ended. I swear it had 38 <laughs> parts. I mean, it just went on and on and on. But that very first night that we sat down and listened to that, I mean, it was it was like a, you know, I, I mean, it was like being hit by truck. I mean, it was just instant for both of us. Mm -hmm. And we, we certainly didn't have answers then we didn't, we had no idea what was coming for us at that point, but it was a clear sense of like, Oh no, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like one of those now what? And and that was a long process. I mean, it was, it was another two years probably from that point before we sold that farm and, you know, moved to where we're at now. So it was, it took time. Um, and it was a lot of just, you know, take this weird step and you're not going to understand why, but just trust us, you know, just trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then take this next weird step. And so there was a lot of fumbling. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of uncertainty and fear along the way. So would you say, so with that, um, I know you share in the book too, that, so you're having these feelings, but then life kind of starts happening, um, to really make you re-examine, right. With jobs and all of that. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In the midst of, you know, I think we were making, maybe halfway or two thirds of the way through that sermon series, we hopped on an airplane and flew to South Korea and brought Silas home right in the middle of that. Um, And I was saying kind of, you know, the thing that kept coming to my mind as we were sort of fumbling our way through some of this heart shifting, the only thing I knew to say, the only thing I knew that we could really, I mean, we just literally didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what, what God was even thinking of asking of us. And I kept telling Corey, I think we're supposed to maybe sell our house. Mm. And he kept saying, no, everything's <laughs> fine. You know, anything but like, that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. He, and I didn't want that either. Right. I mean, every time he said, no, 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 settle down. I was like, okay everything's fine. Like I just kind of needed him to, to affirm that. Mm -hmm. So we brought Silas home and Silas had just a really hard transition home. I mean, he was, he was at that time, our oldest kiddo that we'd brought home. He was a year and a half old, which now is like, Oh, he was a tiny baby, but compared to a newborn and a four month old, we were like, Mm -hmm. he's grown, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like (laughs) he's a grown kid and he's walking and talking and he's grieving hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just kind of an all hands on deck situation. So that, that kind of shook us. Um, and then a month after he came home, my 
I was working under a government contract and it, we knew because the administrations had changed recently, I knew that it was probably going to come to an end at some point, but I didn't know when. And it, and that's when that happened. So suddenly I was without a job and I was half of our household income, but you know, it was fine. I mean, Corey still, it was, Corey still could support our family and then some, and it was really kind of like a blessing because we knew that even though I was just working part-time, I mean, Silas and our other two kids, like it was just going to take every bit of my time. Okay. So, you know, that happened and it was kind of like, well, that's, you know, it's kind of rattling to bring home another baby and then lose half of your income. You know, that was, that right. was a bit of a shock, but it was going to be okay. Um, but then a month later, the congressman my husband was working for very unexpectedly resigned from office. And so within two months, I mean, we brought home a baby and we both lost our jobs. And things started to become very clear at that wow. point. Wow. So you went from really comfortable to yeah. uncomfortable, like within oh, a matter of a like, really short amount of time. So. Yeah. I mean, I was scared. I mean, yeah. I was legitimately scared and worried and, you know, you know, not to mention that we were still having a lot of this, these kind of existential questions in our soul about our faith and, you know, what life was really supposed to look like. So, you know, I, I was still saying, well, we're going to have to sell our house, you know, Corey's looking for a new job. Um, and, and one of those nights, somewhere in the midst of all this, I said that that statement again, I think we should sell our house. And Corey said back to me, I think you're right. Wow. And I burst into tears mm. and I was just mad at him for missing his line. Mm. Uh, and so we knew, you know, we knew that that things were really going to change. Now it took 18 months for that house to sell. So when you so, said at that time, I think we need to sell it. Was that just purely financial? Like we need to downsize no. or did you know, like, I think we need to be among like the people I Jesus just, wants us to be with. I, I mean, I didn't, I, I think maybe a little bit of both, you know, maybe mm. some fear. It wasn't a financial decision even at that point. Like, okay. you know, we were obviously crunching the numbers and, you know, feeling like we can still do this. If I'm being completely honest, I think there was, um, you know, there was some pride there in us of like, we've kind of believed that God wanted us to sell our house. We didn't know why we didn't know where we were going to go, but we were also like, everybody's going to think that we're like, you know, we've lost everything. Mm -hmm. So there was a sense of like, you know, that pride of like, we don't want, we don't want people to think that we have to sell our house. Right. You know, like, isn't that we, so crazy? We do that as Christians still like, Oh, for sure. Ugh. For sure. Like, I mean, I, I had no idea how much it mattered to me, what people thought of me until we felt some of that, you know, kind of stepping onto some shaky ground. Like at the point that, at the point that we had um, problems that we just really couldn't solve or at the point that our life started to take a direction that was confusing to a lot of the people around us. I mean, I started to really understand how, how much I clung to my reputation mm -hmm. and just my kind of good standing mm -hmm. in the eyes of the people around us. So that was, that, that felt like, you know, unfair of God to put us in a situation where people were going to be talking some smack about us. But that was, that was honestly just kind of the beginning of that. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of confusion around us at that time from all sides. <laughs> a lot of confusion. That's a, that's a good way to put it. A lot of confusion. That's, um, a nice way to put it. <laughs> that's right. So you both, so that night in bed, you both say, yeah, we need to sell the house. So you proceed, put it on the market and you said it took 18 months. Is that right? Yeah, it did. It so did, did you I, go, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, we, I, I had this idea that, you know, we finally were on board. We were finally, I felt like, okay, we're finally hearing God and we're ready to do what he wants us to do. Like he's made himself pretty clear. Like it's yeah. hard to miss it at this point, but we are going to put this house on the market, whether or not people around us get it and agree, we're going to do this thing and we're going to be obedient. And so surely this house is just going to sell mm -hmm. right away. And everybody around us who, you know, all the naysayers are going to be silenced. And that's not what happened, you know? Mm -hmm. So for 18 months, we got to just continue to, um, to face some questions and, and even to face some questions within ourselves. That's so interesting. I never, 
really thought a lot about that part of your story, but yeah, it wasn't, it would have been easier quote to have a quick sale and no, but you had to trust God through all of that and the doubting and everything. So that's a really good point. Um, so during that 18 months, then did you kind of have an area? Did you know you were supposed to move to the Mm -hmm. city, to a smaller house? Like how did that happen where, um, you knew where you're supposed to land after (laughs) your house sold? Yeah. Well, funny you ask because we, what we know now and we, you know, not so long after moving, it started to become clear to us in hindsight. You know, at that point, we had the benefit of a rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And and it was obvious to us that it took 18 months because it took that long <laughs> for, <laughs> for God to make himself um, heard by us. And so what I mean by that is when, when we finally put that house on the market... I was, it was, it was mostly me, I would say, I'll take most of the blame, but I was like, I was still really strong arming the control of this whole situation. So it was like, you know, I love this, this farm and we just gutted and remodeled the kitchen. So there oh, is gosh, that. That's guy. hard. <laughs> that's really hard. I feel you. you. Uh huh. Yeah. We thought we were going to be here forever, but mm. I'll, I'll put this house on the market if that's what you want us to do. And, and I am willing to move one mile away. Uh, like I had a very clear, like, okay, we'll do this and we'll move here. And then over time it was like, okay, maybe we will move into this nearby town, but on the good side of town. Mm -hmm. And then over time, okay, maybe we'll move on the quote bad side of town. And if, if you even knew the town that I'm thinking of, you would cackle. I mean, there's it's, it was nonsense the way I was thinking, but it just took, it it took took you Shannon 18 months for God to be like (laughs) a mile, a mile here and there. Yeah. Right. Like, (laughs) I mean, I just feel like God was like, okay, Shannon, (laughs) like just keep talking (laughs) and and we're just going to sit here in this, in this holding pattern while you, while you, you know, while you find where I'm already standing and you come and stand with me here. So if, if our house would have sold, in that first month or in five months or in a year, we were not ready to, to see and to really embrace where we were really being called. Um, and so that's where I just, you know, so much of waiting, I think as much as we hate it and we resist it, I mean, so much is, is because it's necessary to God's work in our own hearts. So true. And learning to trust him. Yeah. Yeah. That's grace. That's grace to us. I mean, I just, as much as, as, you know, things felt really abrupt with the jobs and the money and all that kind of thing. I mean, then I feel like God was really patient with us and, and really getting our hearts to a place where we could be on board and ready and excited. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we were not nervous about the move. We were, it was very unknown to us. So I and, know, in, I know in the book you talk about, Oh, I think there's a chapter you're talking about driving around the neighborhood with Silas. So did you start feeling like that was the neighborhood in particular, or were you just exploring yeah. on your own or how did, so how did it come about then the exact like area you knew God wanted yeah. you in? Well, okay. The, the real story is that there was a, you know, we started looking in this city that we're in now. We were looking on, we looked at a couple of houses that are on like the historical brick street. I mean, my city is amazing. We have, I'm obsessed with it. But like most cities, there are like areas of town that are beautiful and, um, you know, very kind of touristy. And we've got a great downtown. We've got all these wonderful things. There are also neighborhoods that are just not that Mm -hmm. so we started our search in this historical really beautiful neighborhood and it didn't feel i remember in one afternoon we looked at two homes over there and i just felt like it felt off (laughs) um but i wasn't quite sure what that meant and so I, i remember driving away from from that you know we'd met there separately and i'm driving back home and i drove past a house that was in like a slightly more ordinary, less, um, you know, TV worthy neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And there was this beautiful house for sale and it was bright green, which is so weird, but it was this (laughs) bright green. I mean, it was just so different and so beautiful and I loved it so much. And it said sale pending, but we were like, well, we know how this goes because you know, we just sold a house. We know that sale pending doesn't, doesn't always mean sold. And so we called and inquired about that house and they said, yeah, it's, you know, that's a, that's, that sale is happening, but we have a couple of other homes for sale in this other neighborhood. And so that's how we landed 
in this neighborhood that organization that was selling the green home and the home that we live in now is is a like a nonprofit that works towards neighborhood revitalization or neighborhood stabilization so you know neighborhoods that are um declining they're coming in and like remodeling rehabbing homes sometimes in the case of of our house the homes on our street were just in complete disrepair had been abandoned for decades and they had to be raised and then you know new homes were built so that's how we ended up here gotcha and and yeah that first time that that i kind of came over to scout out this neighborhood i mean i was just like nope (laughs) (laughs) nope 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 this cannot be you know it was just it was just so different from from the farm it was just so different right and you're still wrestling i mean there's so many things in your book that just have really made me um, ponder a lot of things. I mean, I have two daughters, nine and 16, and we want them to be safe. And so sure. you're still wrestling, I'm sure, when you're driving around that neighborhood, the both worlds of like, I'm I'm supposed to keep my kids safe and let yeah. them grow up in the country and intentionally moving them to, quote, danger or a poor school. Yeah. Like, so right. how, how was your mind doing during that time? Were you questioning God or did yeah. you just know, like, nope, this is where we're supposed to oh. be, God? Like, tell oh me a little bit about that struggling. I drove away, and I, I wrote about this in Falling Free, but I I drove down the back alley with Silas in the, in the car with me, and I called Corey <laughs> sobbing. I... You know, I a lot of this story, there were tears. <laughs> a lot of, this time of my life was a very emotional time for me and very, very different than how I tend to operate. But I, I called him crying because I was like, the thing that got me was the yard. I mean, there were these tiny yards. And now we're like, we have a huge yard in the city. But compared to six acres, I mean, I just, I looked at the yard, like, there's no way. Like, that's too far. That's That's how I felt, like you know, God, this is just too far. This is, you're asking too much for my kids to, you know, this, I thought I was going to have this future of my kids running barefoot in our pastures and in the orchard. And, and now this, like, it's too much. Um, so I was pretty much like this, this can, this just can't be, but I also think, and I think this is really common. I had the perception that, that poor or even just um ordinary like really ordinary like homes with um homes that might be in disrepair or homes that have some junk on the porch or you know overgrown shrubs or knee-high grass you know that's kind of the neighborhood that we moved into my mind said that ordinary or um you know, under-resourced meant dangerous. Mm-hmm. So yes. this, this, the optics of poverty signaled danger in my mind. And I know now how terribly unfair that is. And so, that's, and it's so common what you're saying. I mean, I feel convicted you just saying that because we are both, yeah. you know, middle-class, middle-upper-class white girls raised in a, quote, Christian home. And right. that's what we think. We're not exposed to all of that. So right. it really, you being in it is what it took to totally change your perspective of it. Um, Absolutely. Yep. And when you're not in it, you continue to believe. So... You, you were holding on struggling, but God got you there. Um, so tell me yeah. during that time. So was Robert adopted before, did he come into your life before you moved or while yeah. you were in the farmhouse or he, we met did? him while we were on the farmhouse Okay, while okay. we were in the farmhouse. So we, we met him then he was kind of at the periphery of our life. Like my husband worked for after his congressional job ended, he worked at an alternative high school as an administrator for a couple of years. And that's where he got to know Robert. Okay. So Robert would come over for dinner. Sometimes he'd bring friends with them. Sometimes we were getting to know him, but then he disappeared on us and was gone for, you know, seven months, something like that. And I mean, he just, he literally disappeared and he reemerged right before we moved into this home. Um, and so and then, you know, a month after he came back into our lives, he was arrested and okay. was sent to jail. Okay. And so 
we found ourselves here in this home in Goshen. Robert is now in the county jail, a place we've never been before, neither of us. Because that's so, dangerous. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, and why, I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic, but yeah, it's like, why would I go course. to the jail? Like, uh-huh. It's it's sarcasm, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And we just, we didn't know. We didn't know anybody right. who had been to jail, right. I, which is crazy because now... <laughs> That paradigm has flipped to where most of the people in our everyday life have have had some contact with the justice system with jail. I mean, it's it's just loony to think of how different that part of our life is now. But at the time, you know, we just we had no reason. Jail was not on our radar in any way. But we started visiting him in jail. And that is when he. I mean, our relationship really was built then. We had a very beautiful and meaningful kind of, you know, adoption. People talk about gotcha day. We had a very mm-hmm. beautiful gotcha day with him inside that county jail. And he became our son and we became his parents. And then he was sent to prison wow. from there the next day, the day after that, like really oh unexpected moment. They We knew he was headed to prison, but you don't know when they're going to take you. So the next day they took him. And, and he was um, 16, correct? Is that right? Well, no, he was no. 16 when we met him. Oh, gotcha. When he was in jail, the day that we had our our moment with him was, um, I believe it was right around his 19th birthday. Okay, okay. So he was 18 when he went into jail. He turned 19 and then was sent to prison. So, yeah, he was like... Right around 19 okay. when, when he became ours. Okay. Um, and so and the most unconventional adoption probably ever. 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 I was going to say that. So, and yes. He, I mean, it was such a, it was such a weird, I, I wrote it. I wrote a blog post somewhere talking about it and it would be, it would be fun for me even to just dig that up and read it because I just, I mean, it was as real as anything in my life, but it was just strange. I mean, you know, we, Corey at the time, yeah, he was able to like not pull some strings. It was nothing shady, but he, he found a way. It was right. It was Robert's 19th birthday. It's kind Mm -hmm. of coming back to me now as I (laughs) think this through. It was his actual birthday. And Corey said, I wonder if they would let us like actually go in and like talk to him on his birthday. And because Corey was connected to the right people, they let us do that. And so I was, I had it in my mindset of like, okay, you know, jail visits through the phone kiosk, which is what we were used to doing. We're like 30 minutes. And then, you know, the timer cuts off, the screen goes black, your visit is over. So I remember being so like anxious, like, oh my gosh, we only have 30 minutes and I can't believe we get to actually see him. And, you know, I'm so excited. And they put us in this room and then with Robert, and then they just like left us there. <laughs> okay. So we were there for hours. I mean, I was kind of like at some point we were kind of like banging on the door, like we've got it's time to, to get go. home to our little kids. Like yeah. it's nine o'clock now, and I mean we would have stayed forever, but it's like we've got we got to get back to our little kids. So it was just a really, it was a very. Um, it was a miracle. I'm yeah. comfortable saying it was a miracle. No, it is. How God orchestrated that. I mean, that's yeah. a miracle, the timing it of was. that. And it's so interesting to me that God brought him to your house, your farmhouse, your safe farmhouse yeah. before you moved. Right. He started bringing the neighborhood or people from the, quote, bad side of the tracks into your safe house, right. um, kind yeah. of to gradually get you ready for that next phase. So um, you adopted him and he went to prison, but then um, he came back and lived with you. Is that correct? Yeah, he was released from prison. He was only in prison, I think, for nine or 10 months. And we were, you know, making those trips. He had twin baby boys, too. So we were like, taking his babies to visit him in prison. And you know, that was a that was a interesting time. And so when he was released from prison, um, he was released to us to our home and was on he was on house arrest here. So yeah, And, and so it's funny. And it's funny that you mention it, because once he was living here, and he's, you know, he's ours and, you know, we're a family, but he was also like, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why you're like, like he knew the farm and he knew, you know, he'd been there many times. And so now he was like, yeah, can you just back up a whole oh, bunch of funny. stuff and explain why you're here? That's <laughs> funny. Cause he, you all were living the American dream to him too. I right. mean, it's like, why would you go backwards and go exactly. down? So yeah, that's like interesting perspective for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you talk about that in the book um, and that image of 
you're in this house and your adopted son has the ankle bracelet smoking a cigarette on your front porch. And it's like, yeah, so that's your life. And so once you were there and that was your life, did it start to become like, okay, God, this is what you wanted? Or was it still like, this is really hard. And I'm not sure if we did the right thing. No, I think from the moment, I mean, Mm -hmm. Robert came home, man, he, he came home from prison within probably the, the first, or second year that we were here. But I think from the moment we got here, I mean, we landed in this neighborhood and we were just kind of exhilarated to be here. Mm. So to, to, to kind of traverse that, that emotional um, journey from being scared and nervous to being like, we're so excited to be here. You've just got to read the book. It's just too much. Very true. Very true. <laughs> and you, yeah, very true. And you could, because you guys were also very intentional, like we're not going to stay yeah. just in our little isolated home. Like we're going to have a right. meal and invite the neighbors and cook out and get to know our neighbors now. So right. it was yeah. almost I like mean, your mission field. I mean, that's kind of what, like, this is my mission field and I better get involved with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there was, you know, I think once we were here, there was a little bit of like, okay, now what? You know, mm-hmm. I I had the the sense from my childhood or you know from my from my faith that now I needed to kind of drum up business for the Lord. <laughs> you know, like I needed to be doing something, and we knew clearly that we were not here to um, plant a church or start a Bible study or open a food bank or you know things that maybe our neighbors could have used. I mean, I think those are things that most neighborhoods could use, but that's not what we were tasked to do. We were tasked to come here and live as neighbors. And so there was, there was just a long learning curve. There was a lot of just um, feeling like we're thrilled to be here, but also this is kind of underwhelming because we're just people. And I think that's what, I think that was kind of the point. (laughs) I think that was what God wanted us to understand was like, yeah, you are just people. You're just like your neighbors. Um, They have a lot to teach you. Um, on paper, they might look pretty different from you, but but in reality, they're just really not different from you at all. So why don't you just kind of venture out and get to know them? Did you find that, um, you know, you could have, po- you probably moved in with a mindset like, you know what, we're going to be the ones inter- introducing Christ and teaching them. But did you find kind of the opposite, just how much they yeah. taught you was probably um, not what you expected? I don't know that I felt quite the you know, we're going to bring God to the neighborhood. I think some of that had been pared away from me in that like two years that it took to get us here. Gotcha. Um, But I do think that there was, there was certainly still some pride of like our, these neighbors need us. Mm -hmm. They need our love, you know? And I think there's, there's a fine line there because I think, I think they, they did need us, but I think, just as equally we needed them and that was the part that we just couldn't quite understand until we were just right in the midst of of our neighbors and you know our hearts started shifting from you know thinking that we were the people who had the answers to becoming the people who wanted to hear their story who wanted to hear their perspective and and really robert was instrumental in teaching us that Mm, because you know he moved into our home and we were like well i guess i guess what we need to do now is is turn him into a white middle class dude you know Mm. like we would never have said that and we i don't even think we could have articulated that but we really thought that we had a lot of answers that he needed because we have we have such the misconception i mean that that's the way that's the best way to be white middle upper class and it's like it's so hard to break out of that i mean like i said i was convicted a lot in your book and still wrestling with a lot of the things not wrestling if they're true because your book is full of truth and the gospel but it's like okay if you're if you're raised in this white middle upper upper class america that's what you think is the blessing or the ideal and it's like The, the ideal that's exactly it like this is the this is the ideal so I mean, it was it was a really hard year, like having him with us under our roof was hard for all of us Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons that I go into great detail Mm -hmm. in the book. It was hard, but it was also like that that time with Robert was like constantly God was flipping that mirror onto, you know, just we would be I remember just talking at Robert about something and God would kind of flip that mirror and I would start to see 
you know, from his perspective, or I would start to see my own judgment, or I would start to see um, the way he was the image of God right in front of me, mm. and that I needed to be willing to see that and listen to that and learn from that and to, to start to understand like, hey, maybe after, you know, I'm in my mid to late 30s at that point, like, maybe, maybe white middle class is not the standard or the right. idea. You know, I mean, it was it. It's a lot. It's a lot to process and to be willing to confront your own um, ugliness and your own prejudice. And, you know, there was a lot of of work that needed to happen. In it, me. it is a lot like it's just um, and gosh, I could talk. I could talk to you all day because it's just, <laughs> you know, like just the conviction because it's like. I've always lived that easy, comfortable life, but I do struggle. Like you said, that comfortable Christianity, is that what God really calls us to? And like you point out in your book and like you mentioned, um, the gospel, that's not what the gospel says and that's not how Jesus lived. So do you, and I'm sure you've been asked this question a lot, but I'm just so curious how you would answer it. Cause I was telling my husband about your book and your life and how you guys totally just God rocked your world. And he was looking at me like I was crazy (laughs) because thinking like you're, we're not ever doing that. Right, um, like don't get any ideas, girl. <laughs> right. So exactly. Um, so as Christians, we're not all called to that, or are we? How do you process that? Because like, yeah. yeah, talk a little bit about that. I would love to. I mean, I, you know, I will. I'll say here because this makes sense to say this here. That question that you just asked is the question I answered in my second book that came out. Okay. Um, and so we can come back to that maybe if we have time, but. I, I don't believe that everybody is supposed to do all of the things that we did. So for us, it was like a lot of things. It just felt like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we sold the house. We both, it, you know, lost our jobs. We adopted two more kids during that time. I mean, you know, we we lost over half of our income. I mean, it just, you know, on and on it went. Right. Um, and so I, I, it was a lot. And I don't think that every person, it's certainly not a template. And I know that during that time that I was going through maybe what you're feeling now, like you start to feel, I like to think of it as like the furniture in your heart is being moved around. Mm, And so you start to feel things move around and you start to feel kind of that unease and you start to feel like you're seeing the world from a bit of a different perspective and it's kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, things start to feel a bit unsteady. I was desperate for somebody to tell me what to do. Like, mm. just tell me, just tell me, just tell me how much money is enough money. Just tell me, you know, where I can live. Just tell me um, what I should do or where I should work. And unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> there those answers don't exist. So that's where we just have to be. We have to be um, just keeping our ear pressed against the Holy Spirit and his and his direction. But so part one is no, not everybody's supposed to do exactly what we did. No, let's just stop there. No. (laughs) Part two, I think, is everybody should be finding a way to have meaningful relationships with the people who Jesus spent his time with. Mm, And for me, that looks a lot easier because I live right smack dab in the middle of it. For other people who live in the suburbs or who live, you know, out in the country or who live in a gated community or who live on the cute historical brick street. I mean, that's just going to it's going to look different. And I don't I don't have, you know, all of the answers for that. But I believe with my whole heart that when we begin to ask God to let us see the world and the people in it the way he sees them, that changes things And when we begin to really intentionally pay attention to wherever it is God has placed us, because I think he's put us each where we are with with great intention. If we can get serious about our place and get serious about, you know, this street that we are on, whatever that looks like, and start really looking around with the lens that believes that, you know, we are all made in the image of God. I think I think each one of us will have our lives changed. Yeah, that's so, so wise and profound. I mean, while you were saying that, I wrote down the word intentional because I think that's what it is. I mean, we can get, it's very easy just to get isolated and comfortable 
and go down that Christian checklist of church and tithing. But unless you're intentional and really pressed into the Holy Spirit, I don't think you'll ever probably push yourself to God's full potential for your life. Um, Right. I mean, I think as long as we're living in such a way that we are surrounded by people who are just like us, we are we are never going to interrogate the way we see the world. Yeah. I mean, there's a line in your book about that. And it is so convicting because you talk about that. Like all my girlfriends are just like me. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. What is what does that do for for you? And yeah. It it just means it doesn't mean that we're bad people. It just means that we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never what I knew about um, somebody who might look from the outside looking in like Robert. So Robert is he's almost 25 years old. He's African-American. He's grown up, you know, inner city. He's he's had a really hard life. He's been to jail like these things are true about him. If I did not know Robert. And, and before my life really shifted in this way, the only thing I really knew about someone like Robert, I was learning from news headlines. Right. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be gaining your worldview. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty limited and skewed picture of humanity. Exactly. Because but if I, you went on that, you would lock your door and hold your purse when you saw right. your son. That's yeah, right. That's a and good so, point. I mean, we just, we don't know what we don't know. And so it's really important for us to find ways to, to have, you know, to have meaningful relationships with people who are different from us, you know, air quotes, different from us in, in some, um, in some way. I mean, that's where, you know, I say all the time and it sounds, it might sound a little bit trite, but my neighbors and my kids, like they have changed my life. God has used mm-hmm. them to speak truth to me, to point out my um, my wrong and bad ideas. I mean, they have they've changed the way I see almost everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you bring up your kids too, I was going to ask you how you see that has shifted your kid's life um, and their perspective, because initially it is, I want to keep my kids safe and I want them in a good school, but now you've put them in it. You've put them in that um, title one school and yeah. tell me how you see a difference in your kids um, with this. Well, move. yeah, you know, it's hard in some ways to, to even tell you how I see a difference because they were so little. When we, it felt like the end of the world. Right. It, right. I mean, it just felt like, and we had people telling us like you're going to ruin your kids' lives. I mean, this mm-hmm. was this was real words that we were receiving. But, you know, Calvin was in second grade, Ruby was in kindergarten, and Silas was in preschool when we moved here. So really, this is really especially for the two younger ones, this is all they really know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I can but what I can do is say number 1, none of my kids are white. And so there's there's real value just you know, like top of the pyramid is like there's real value in them being in a school system where they are not one of the handful of non-white kids. Like that's just a win for mm-hmm. for them personally. Um, and and I'll just leave it at that. I mean, that's something. Yeah. And that was part of our like we knew that that was going to be a benefit. Now it doesn't mean that <laughs> that they do not still experience racism. And it, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that like, and now that's perfect, right. but we see so much value in that. And, and I, I know that they do too, whether they can articulate that or not. But I, I know that I, I had a beautiful, beautiful childhood and it was really the childhood I wanted to give my kids. It was, you know, it was, it was that running around barefoot out in the country, um, very small town, very small school, Everybody knew each other. Everybody was sort of the same, you know, and and I loved it. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to cast, you know, any disdain on that. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. I, my parents are amazing people. All of this is true, but I grew up somehow believing that there were good people and there were bad people. And I was one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. And what I hope for my kids, I mean, we have a lot of hopes about for them, just like all parents do. And we have a lot of understanding that 
you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows if they're going to grow up to embrace this or to feel like, you know, they got the short end of the stick when right. their parents <laughs> raised them. I don't know. Um, but I hope that they, and I believe that they are seeing a side of life where, um, where we're all good people and we're all kind of the worst, you know, like, well, I think it is more, we're all equal in God's eyes. I mean, I think that's it. It's not, you know, because you're poor, you're not blessed or because you're a different color, you're less. I mean that, and that's another thing I love about your book. I mean, it's really made me think how, what am I focusing on for my girls as my goals, you know, for them when I raise them, is it, um, that they are, you know, are wealthy and live this upper class life too, or is it really just to see we're all equal in God's eyes and to go down to these places, um, with your kids. So that's why I was curious with your children, like how you've seen that all sort out. But, um, but yeah, I think it is kind of a goal shift for your children, raising Christian children of what really that means. Yeah. And I think they, you know, our kids, they, they, they have our whole hearts, but they, they see it, whether they remember, I don't know, but there would be a shift between, you know, where we used to live and where we live now. I think now they, they have a decent understanding and this is something that will make people uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable saying it right now. Okay. They, they see that they are not the absolute center of our world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, people get kind of defensive when I talk about this stuff. And it's kind of that's one of the things that people can throw at me is like, oh, your kids should be your your first priority. I mean, that's just we don't even have time to go into that. Right. I don't I don't right. think that's quite true. I think I would agree with you. This could be your next book, I think. <laughs> think about... <laughs> no, yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, I would agree with you, but you're right. Not everybody would. But you've got yeah. that perspective. Well, and that's OK. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I I know, I know that that's true, but I also know that it's unfair to imply that if, you know, that, I mean, my kids are fine. My kids are awesome. Their needs are being met. They have all the love and support they could ever want from people. But we, we just live our life with a, in a very, um, you know, we like to say we leave the door easy on its hinges Mm -hmm. and they have really adapted to that. And, and I don't even know that they would notice it as being weird or different or, you know, but here's an example just because it's fresh on my mind, but we had, we recently had a friend, um, somebody very, very dear to us who has just, she is struggling (laughs) deeply. And, you know, she came to our house. Um, we'd just gotten two of our kids in bed. One of them was still up and, you know, it was right during that bedtime time. And we're sitting down here on the couch at the end of a really long and hard day. And she's sobbing and she's, you know, she's really struggling with addiction and all these things are happening. And I just remember being really aware that my kids were, they knew she was here. They know her and love her. They're aware to some extent of what's going on in her life. And, and the, they might even be hearing us talk. And it was just one of those moments of just thinking like, you know, even telling myself like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay with me. Like they know that they're safe. I mean, they know her, love her, look at her as almost like an aunt. Um, but we just, we, we've rethought the way that we feel like we need to protect our kids. And so our kids are, they're exposed to plenty of heartache because we are surrounded by breaking hearts, you know? Mm. Um, And so this is, you know, it's very normal for my kids to hear about addiction or, you know, substance abuse stuff. It's very normal for them to hear about jail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I wrote in falling free where my youngest was like, so you know, like almost like assuming like, and then you grow up and then you go to jail. Like there was a moment where we <laughs> oh, were like, funny. that is how it seems probably to you. That's not quite how it works. I mean, this stuff has become pretty normal because right. now dad, their dad works in the jail. Right. You know? Which I did want to bring up. So your husband through this, through all of this has become the chaplain of the county jail too. another part of the story. That's awesome. That same jail where we first visited yeah. Robert. Yeah. Within, and he's been there now for almost five years. So that wow. happened. You know, it was another very unexpected wow. uh, shift along the way. But, you know, this is just his, I mean, to go from working on Capitol Hill to working in, in a county jail. I mean, just 
I'll just leave it at we did not see this coming. Yeah. <laughs> this is not in in the plan. And that's what I see with all of your story. I mean, all yeah. the pages, I'm not sure that you probably would have written all of them, but now looking back, you probably wouldn't change any of them. Absolutely not. I mean, this is this is just, you know, this is this for us is this is the abundant life. Like yeah. that's what I think I think all believers like we know that that Jesus gives us abundant life and we want that it sounds so good and it sounds like oh abundance means more 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 and better 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 what i know is that for us god's more looked like less Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways and i know that abundance means everything Mm -hmm. abundance means you get the good and you get the awesome and you get the heartbreaking and the sad and you know jesus spent his life standing with the people who were on the other side of power Mm -hmm. and so that's our model that's our example and when we stand there as jesus did we will feel the heat of their pain you know we'll feel those contact burns we will be burned by that pain and this is this is abundance this is the abundant life yeah that's awesome that is i just ah this conversation has been so just so rich and honest and i just want to thank you um for just sharing all of this um and just really just really making um i'm just i cannot stress enough and encourage and i encourage my friends so much to read your book um because it will just make you take a step back and look at our comfortable lives um and what we think is the ideal and just question that um i think in your intro to your book jen hatmaker says your words will make you squirm and they do <laughs> they yeah. do but in a good way and it's um so tell me about the book and i have not read it yet it's next on my list and um, <laughs> the ministry of ordinary places yeah um, so tell me a little out, bit about that book yeah sure it just came out in september so it's only been out for a few months right now okay um but like i said earlier this is kind of like the now what Mm -hmm. so you read falling free and it's going to give you all of that backstory it's a great place to start but but the ministry of ordinary places is the book that's going to say okay what does it look like in my ordinary world in my ordinary corner what does it look like to really invest in the lives of the people nearby and to seek out and hunt down the people somewhere in my proximity that I might not even be aware of yet who are desperate for connection. Um, So it's a very, I mean, it's, it's just such a good segue. Like the the first book is going to flow right into the next book. And it's a lot of it is just, you know, the story of our life in our beloved neighborhood with our, you know, hilarious and complicated neighbors and with our little church at the end of our street. And, you know, it's just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, of our life and what it might look like to, to start to be really intentional in your own ordinary place. Okay. That is perfect. Cause like, that was my biggest question when I finished your first book, like, well, what do I do now? So <laughs> right, that sounds, that sounds I, like, okay, that's perfect. And I am definitely going to start, yep. um, start the next one. Yes. Yep. So tell me real quick and we will put the link and um, where you can order that both books on the show notes. We'll also put the link to your blog. So you still have a blog, but now it's not called flower patch farm girl. It's not, no, it's just Shannon Martin and Shannon has an A at the end. So that's where you can find me. And then I am the best thing that I would recommend is to subscribe to my email list because I, I don't blog quite as often as I, I mean, I don't blog nearly. I used to blog like a maniac and I don't do that anymore. And we're all probably glad, but I do send, um, I send pretty personal, um, behind the scenes kind of emails out once a month or so. Okay. And that's a great place to follow along there. And then I'm on social media most days. Okay. Um, Twitter and Instagram are my, are my twin favorites and I am at Shannon writes on both of those. And I'm also on Facebook at Shannon Martin writes, and I'm just getting ready to, um, start an online book club there on Facebook using Facebook live. And there's, there's stuff happening over there too, for sure. Oh, very cool. Okay. So we will put, um, like I said, the links to all of that and the online book club. So will the online book club be for just your books or is it just, um, some of your favorite books or what is that entail? 
It is for my newest book, The Ministry okay. of Ordinary Places. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Because I know on I've looked checked out your blog, and I know you have lists of some of your favorite books, and there's lots of good ones on there too. Yeah. So, so perfect. Then Shannon, we'll put the links to all of those where people can find you, and I'm excited to read your next book. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks right. so much for having me thank on. You I love chatting for, with oh, you. Oh, thank you for coming on, Shannon. You've been a just a blessing to talk to. So thank you. Have a great day. I love this conversation with Shannon and her boldness to challenge our comfortable Christianity. If you're looking for a good read that will shake your soul, I highly encourage you to grab a copy of her books, Falling Free and the Ministry of Ordinary Places. Both are listed on the show notes at HerStorySpeaks.com. There you can also find where to connect with Shannon on her blog, Facebook, and Instagram pages.